All right, open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Thank you for sharing in our discussions every week. This is a part of our worldview series where we learn about the Christian worldview, how we see the world. Today we're talking about the Trinity. Some may say the Trinity. Now, thank you for listening to that video. It was a little bit over five minutes long. I have the full video on my notes right now. You can go back and watch this week. Let me encourage you to be uncomfortable in learning. It is okay to be comfortable being uncomfortable when you're learning. When I listen to things on my podcast, sometimes I'll listen to stuff I only understand about 10% of. I am literally right now learning about neuroscience. I'm learning about deep philosophy, and I have to take my time and do it. If you're coming to church just expecting to hear the same stories you've heard since you were a little boy or a girl, you are at the wrong place. I am here to talk to your young adult mind, to your adult mind. I believe what Jesus said when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And how many of us are emotional here today? With all your soul on the inside of you and with all your mind. you got to love God with all your mind. So it's okay if you didn't get all the video, but let me summarize it for you as you're going to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Basically what he was saying is believing God is a trinity is not illogical, though it's unfathomable. Then he gives you an example of a terror rack. It's a big, complicated, four-dimensional square. Now everybody just understand this. We live in three dimensions. Things like the Simpsons, my computer screen, that's two dimensions. So could you ever exist in the world of the Simpsons? No, because you'd be flattened out like a Simpson. They're a cartoon. You are three-dimensional. And what he was saying is in mathematics, and the guy who was holding the cube that looked like a 70s video, that was one of the smartest men of our time. That's called Carl Sagan. He believed in this as well, and scientists believe in this, that we can show mathematically there is another dimension and possibilities of endless dimensions. That we right now are in three dimensions, but there's a possibility of others. And so here was his argument, really simple. We can show in mathematics that things are logical, but not fathomable, so God can be the same kind of way. Because like Carl Sagan, who was actually an atheist, would say, you know what? I understand in math there can be other dimensions, but I can't fathom that. And that's what he gave the example of, the little stick figure with the square face looking at a cube. Because think about this. If you're in the Simpson world and you try to bring in you or a cube, it's only going to be flat to them. They're only going to see one side. So think about this. A square is one part of a cube, but you put six of them together, now that's a cube, right? It's got a top and a bottom and another side, another side, and the other side, and that side. Two, four, six, right? So here's the deal. If I'm in a two-dimensional world and the cube is moving, all I'm going to see is it's flat square. Let's say it's like a, a red-sided cube on one side, then green on the other, yellow. Whenever it turns, all I'm going to see is the yellow square, then red square. The multi-dimension of the cube will not exist in my two-dimensional world, and that's why they're using those objects to show there's other dimensions, and they were showing how it could move around like that. Now think about this. If God created this world, could he have multi-dimensions to himself? That's why we can say it's not illogical. What is illogical? An illogic statement is something like this. I'm a married bachelor. Can I be a married bachelor? 
Can I draw you a square circle? No. So that's illogical. But is God being one being and three persons illogical? No. So anybody who says to you, oh, the Trinity, that's illogical. They don't know what they're talking about. Now, what is it? It's unfathomable. Now, have there been things in the past that have been unfathomable to us that are now currently true to us? Absolutely. Do you know that in the Bible, the book of Revelation says there is an event that happens. Two witnesses die, and it's clear who sees it. The Bible is very clear. It says it like this. The entire world rejoices and sees their dead body. Now, dead bodies. Now, how many know 2,000 years ago it would have been unfathomable to think about how we could all see the same thing around the world at the same time? But somebody say satellite. Satellite changed it. Satellite change. It was unfathomable. How many know when people lived on the, the planet Earth, you know, as we do now, and they looked up to the moon, it was unfathomable to get up there. Like, how do we jump up there? We can't get up there. We can't flap our wings, but we put a man on the moon. So what is unfathomable, unfathomable does not equal illogical. Understand the difference. God is Trinity, maybe unfathomable to how he exists in different dimensions as multi-personal, but not illogical. We shouldn't come to it and turn off our reasoning. There are some Christians that teach fideism. Fideism comes from the Latin word fide, which means only by faith. We only live by faith. So God can be illogical. God can be irrational. I don't even care because it doesn't have to make sense to me. He's God. He can do what he wants. That is not the position of Christians. Christians have been the best scientists, the best philosophers. Just study Descartes, study Locke, study the best philosophers, Pascal, all of these. We have never said God is illogical. What we've said is God is always unfathomable. We're always trying to catch up and understand more about him, but he's never illogical. Are you ready to go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26? Somebody say, I'm ready. Come on, let's go there. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 takes us right to the beginning of our Bible, and it shows us that God is multipersonal. Look at what it says, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. What is the first thing we see that God explains about himself? Let us. He is plural. Now get this, the Jewish people always were in a place of mystery in the Old Testament trying to understand this. Now there's what's called the majestic plural that people have tried to read back into the Old Testament and say what's going on here, but the Jews never saw it as the majestic plural. Let me give you an example. If I was to pray for you as you're joining the church saying, this is going to be my church, I want to you know, start coming here regularly, I may say, we're happy to have you here. And you may look around and go, Where's the weed, Joe? I'm just talking to you right now. See, people who are in charge of things, kingdoms, churches, businesses, may use plurality to speak as the, the general audience or the general group that they represent. So they call it the majestic plural. That is not what the Jews believed here. They do not believe Jesus or God is just speaking here in majestic plural because they see him start to do things as a plural, not as a singular person. Now, in the video, you heard the word Unitarian, Unitarian. And the example he gave of a Unitarian belief was kind of of the bathroom symbols, the man and the woman. This is what we're used to. 
One being being one person. That's Unitarian. How many persons are you? One, hopefully. Nobody's schizophrenic here. If you are, we love you. We're praying for you. Don't want to make fun of you, but how many know you're one person? Okay, now watch this. There are things that have being but no person. Everything in the universe is a part of being. It exists, okay? So my phone has being, but it doesn't have personhood. Does everybody get the difference there? You have being and you have personhood. But as the video was showing, all those we know in the world are Unitarian beings, one person to one being. Now, what we see here is it says, let us. Now, how do I know this is not just the majestic plural? Because the Bible never says that we are made in the image of those in heaven. Like God speaking on behalf of heaven, like angels and everybody up here, let us make man in our image. No, the Bible even clearly says in Genesis why Noah's generation was going to get judged because of murder. The reason why murder was wrong is because God made man in his image. Not in the image of God and then of angels and then all the plurality of things up there. No, it was made in his image alone. Now then, how do I go further into this and know that there's multiple persons in the, the Trinity is because look at when he makes us. He doesn't make us as just one single person. He makes us multiple persons, and that's in his image. He's multiple persons. Watch, verse 27. So God created mankind. That's a plurality of persons. Look around. How, how many know that? In his own image. Watch that. His own image, singular, the image of the triune God makes multiple people. In the image of God, singular, there's not multiple images of God. There's not multiple gods. There's one God in the image of three persons. He created them. So may say them. He created them. Now watch, male and female. That's two. He created them. And how do male and female reproduce? Through children. So there's your third, a part of a family. You, to have a family, you always got to have a husband and wife and children. And so now we know for a fact, right here at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, our God is multipersonal. By the time, go with me to Genesis chapter 18, we begin to see that God begins to show up on the scene and start walking around with us. Look at Genesis chapter 18. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, why is this a problem? Because Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. This is during the time Moses is getting the Ten Commandments, and Moses is writing in the next books that come after this, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. This is what he writes. No one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen him. Yet he himself is writing, Abraham saw God face to face. What could he possibly mean? Now, these become mysteries. Somebody go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 gets into the prophetic parts of the Bible. But guess what we begin to see here? We begin to see prophecies now. For to us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Who do we know that is now? Jesus. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called what? His name will be called what? Wonderful. Say it in the next one. Counselor. And what else? Mighty God, everlasting Father, all of these things. Whoa, what just happened? So now everybody get this. The Jewish people lived with a mystery. They did not understand what was going on. They developed their own theologies around this person known as the Son, 
known as the angel of the Lord. At different times, Moses is speaking to the angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord is talking exactly like God and has, has worship just like God. And you know you can't worship any other God, but your God, but I'm worshiping this angel. What's going on? And so what they had was a mystery. Well, guess what happens when Jesus comes? What was a mystery in the Old Testament now becomes solved in the New Testament. Think of it like this. What was concealed in the Old Testament is now revealed in the New Testament. Y'all ready for Jesus? Y'all ready for this? Okay, go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 talks about Jesus getting baptized. Now look at the scene that happens here. They experience the answer to all of their questions. Jesus came to Galilee. He's going to get baptized by John the Baptist. Now look at this. John, uh, rather, Matthew 3.16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God. Everybody go, hi, Holy Ghost. Well, there's the Holy Ghost, okay, descending like a dove. <sighs> And lighting upon him, lighting upon Jesus, and a voice from heaven. Everybody say, hi, Father. There's our heavenly Father. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and am well pleased with. Wow. The entire Old Testament was shrouded in mystery. God is in us. But we don't know all the us's up there. We know it's not just angels in a majestic plural. It's got to be him because he's showing up in other places. And we know whenever the Spirit of God talks, the Spirit of the prophet talks. So we know the Spirit's not a force like in Star Wars. You don't talk from electricity. And electricity doesn't make you talk. You don't have a conversation with hydroelectric power, do you? You don't talk to your light socket. So, so the Father's talking. Jesus is talking. The Spirit is talking but we don't know who they are until Jesus comes, gets baptized, and now we see, oh, here we go. There's the Son, there's the Spirit, and there's the Father. How many can say the Trinity right there? Now, come on, somebody say, there's the Trinity. Now, what's beautiful about this is the book of Matthew starts in Matthew chapter 1, talks about his genealogy, 2 and 3, his birth, and here's his baptism. But look at how Matthew ends his gospel. Look at how the mystery is solved. Matthew 28 8, uh, 19, we can start in verse 18. Here's Jesus after his resurrection. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the what? In the name. Does it say names, plural? No, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mystery solved. I know who the us is of Genesis chapter 1. Do you know who it is? God said, let us. Who's talking there? That's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are not made in the image of an angel. You are made in the image of your triune God. The Bible teaches us his name, singular, is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what we need to do is we have to first look at what everybody else is trying to say against our Trinity and know what our Trinity is. Because there's been a lot of false doctrine taught about the nature of our God. Let's start with Sabellianism. Sabellianism is now very similar to what oneness Pentecostals believe. They're the ones that can't wear makeup. The women have long hair, skirts, and all of these things. They believe that because of a place like Matthew 28 where it says baptize in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus is that name. And Jesus is the name of the Father, and Jesus is the name of the Son, and Jesus is the name of the Holy Spirit. So they'll ask you, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? And you'll say, where does it say that? Well, it says it right there. Jesus is that name. But does that, is that what the Bible teaches? No. 
But then here's the example they'll give you. They'll say God's not a trinity. That's pagan. That's made up. The word trinity is not even in the Bible. All of these things are just made up. And they'll say like, you know, look at your pastor. Your pastor is a father to his children. He is a son to his father. And then he's a pastor to you. So he's a pastor. He's a father. He's a son. But he's still one person. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, I'm going to show you one scripture that will refute all these false beliefs. We will go back to it quite often in this teaching right now. John 1.1 refutes Sabellianism. Look at John chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now notice, we go here, and what are they going to say right back to us? They're going to say, see, this proves my point. It's proven. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. See, there it is. It's over. He's the same person. But look at the Scripture carefully. In the beginning was the Word. We all know that's about Jesus. We agree with him. And it says the Word was with God. That word in the Greek, with, is next to, face to face. Can you be face to face with yourself? No. But where do they get confused? Because at the end it says, and the Word was God. So here's how they read it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with the Father, and the Word was the Father. But that's not how it reads. How it reads is like this. In the beginning was the Son, the Son was with the Father, and the Son was God like the Father. You say, I don't know, Pastor. That's really slick in that verse. Let's see if you can prove it. Okay, go down just a few verses, and he tells us exactly what he means. He interprets John 1.1 now and shows us who the Father and Son are. No one has ever seen God. Hold up. I just showed you in Genesis 18 people saw God. I can show you in other places in Exodus. Moses talked to him face to face, but it says here no one has seen him. Is there a contradiction? No, keep reading. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, see now we see the word Son come there, and is in closest relationship with the who? With the Father has made him known. So who is the God we've never talked to face to face? The Father. Who is the God we've seen face to face? The Son. So just go right back up there and read it. In the beginning was the Son, the Son was with the Father, and the Son was God like the Father. So how do I know that oneness theology is wrong is I can't be with myself. And then go back to the baptism scenario. Go back to that. Is Jesus shape-shifting? He's in the water, and then he shape-shifts into the Holy Spirit, and then he ventriloquists his voice up into heaven? I'm all of these right now just messing with y'all. I'm here, but I'm there, and I'm talking from here. No, there's three distinct persons. Let's go back to another false belief. We see Judaism and Islam, they're both in that Unitarian mindset that God is just one person, but Judaism and Islam disagree with each other. Now let me tell you a little bit about Islam. Islam came at 500 A.D. Judaism goes back to 4,000 B.C. So Islam is about 4,500 years older than Judaism. It's about 600 years or younger than Judaism, and it's about 600 years younger than Christianity. So we know our scriptures better than they do. Who do you think will know you better, your mom or somebody 500 years from now? Or somebody 5,000 years from now. Muhammad is writing thousands of years after the Jewish scriptures and hundreds of years after the Christian scriptures. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He changes the nature of our God. Who does his God really look like? Allah? 
the pagan gods of the Middle East. Mecca was their worship of a moon god. That's why their symbol today, Islam, is still the moon. They had over 360 gods in there. They threw rocks at the devil at a certain place, and they fasted during Ramadan. That was pagan before Muhammad. He gets a revelation, adopts that god, and then that's not good enough for him, him stealing their religion. He then borrows from Judaism and borrows from Christianity. And here's the big divide. Allah says, I'm not a father. I am a father to no one. He makes it clear in the Quran. He doesn't want to go by the term father. The entire Old Testament is that God is our father. Don't you just remember, we reread it in the passage of Isaiah chapter 9. It says, he shall be called wonderful counselor. What are one of the names that our God goes by? Everlasting father. And the Quran is very clear. God's not a father. So the Quran's God, though it's Unitarian, one person, is more of a pagan pagan deity from the Middle East. The Jewish God, this is very true, is our God, is our Father. But where's the problem between us and the Jews? The Jews don't accept the revelation of Jesus who introduced us to the Father and the Holy Spirit. So where are today's Jews right now with all the passages we read? They're in mystery. They can't explain to you what Isaiah 9 means. They can't explain to you how Moses says nobody can meet with God, but then Moses himself talked to God face to face. They can't explain that. They're waiting for the mystery to be resolved. But how many know at the incarnation of Jesus the mystery was resolved? And guess what? When the Jewish people, because all the first Christians for the most part, for, for the first few years were Jewish, guess what Bible they used to prove Jesus was God? The Jewish Old Testament. They're the ones that went back to Isaiah chapter 9 and said that's referring to Jesus. Somebody say show me. I'll show you. Let's just go back to the chapter here in Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew a Jewish disciple. He wants to show you the story of Jesus and how is Jesus going to be called? He shall be called Emmanuel which means what? So who did Matthew think Jesus was? God with us. Where does he get that from? Where does he get God with us? Well, says it right here. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting Father. He is going to be God with us. And then Isaiah chapter 7 also says it clearly. So the idea isn't that, that the New Testament Christians are making up things. No, they're actually using the Old Testament Bible to preach their doctrine. Look at Isaiah. Get this, guys. 500 years before Matthew. How is he preaching to the people about who Jesus is? Is he making it up? No, his gospel points to the scriptures. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. Come on, somebody say amen. I'm working up here. You all getting this? The Bible confirms itself. So we love the Jewish people. We pray for them. We want them to get saved. They are the only ones, everybody get this, the Jewish people are the only ones that don't have to change religions when they convert. Every other religion has to change when they become a Christian. All the Jew does is just have to accept the Messiah of the Jews. They stay a Jew. You don't stop being a Jew, but you have to stop being a Muslim. You have to stop being a Hindu, a Buddhist, etc. But all a Jewish person has to do is just like the Jews of the Bible is accept Jesus as the Son of God who reveals to us the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now let's move on to paganism. Paganism had this idea that there was a triad of gods, kind of like the Power Rangers. Click, 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 and they all come together to make what? Megazor? Is it Megazor? Megazor, you know. And so the idea would be like, oh, the Father, he's like a third of God. And then the Son, he's another third. And the Holy Spirit, a, he's a third. And then they all come together and make one big God. 
That's paganism. That's what they used to believe about their gods and their triads. So there's been triads before where different gods work together to become one superpower. But that's not Christianity. Let's now move over to Mormonism. Mormonism, by the way, is the most craziest religion you have ever heard of in your entire life. They look like they're the most normalist, nicest people. But if you get them... If you, if you unpeel the onion, and they'll tell you this. I promise you they'll tell you this. Because we're not, I, I will never say something about somebody that's not true. I'm not going to lie. This is actually what they believe. That Father God had sex with Mother God and a lot of God wives, goddess wives. And then we were pre-born as spirits in that love affair up there in their heavenly place. And we were now put into bodies to make a choice to whether or not we want to be like Satan or become like our Father God and become a God of our own planet with, with our goddess wives. And then to live in polygamous love and make other God babies. That is their heaven. I am telling you the truth. And their gods go back, back, back. So our God of this planet was once a spirit baby of a god on another planet. So they take all of science fiction and they make it a part of their worldview. So there's gods everywhere. Instead of aliens, there's just gods having multiple wives that have children that have gods. Does that sound like the Bible? No, that does not sound like the Bible. That sounds like a soap opera plus the Bible plus some Marvel comic thing. Now, how, how do we know that that's wrong? How do we know that that's wrong? Well, the, the clear statements of the Bible, like Deuteronomy, Old Testament, chapter 6, verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So if you introduce any other God, you're already in trouble. And so how do we show them that this is a problem from that scripture, John 1, 1, as well as we do with the Muslims and Jews, as we go, in the beginning was the word. He was already there. So we're not saying our Jesus was a created God. We're not saying that our Jesus is a part of God. We're not saying that. We're saying Jesus is as much of God as, as God is, as, as the Father is. And he's always been there with God. And then look at where it says he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So everybody get this. If Muslims want to come 500 years later and try to knock Jesus down from being the God who's our creator, they've got to deal with John 1-1 who came about 500 years before him and actually laid his head on. Jesus' chest. So who are you going to trust to know me better, my best friend or some false prophet 500 years later that said he met an angel? I'm going to tell you all about Joe now. I met an angel, and this is who Joe was. Dude, you don't know Joe. You didn't live 500 years ago. He's, Muhammad is basically trying to tell you I know better than John the Apostle. How many are going to stick with John the Apostle? And then the same thing with Mormonism. Does it introduce any other gods here? No, the God that we've all been worshiping, John is writing, is the very one he's talking about. It's God the Father and God the Son. And then when we go further in John, we learn about God the Holy Spirit. Now, let me get to the last one right here, which is Arianism, which is modern-day Jehovah Witnesses. How many know who they are? Knocking on your door. Now, y'all may not understand this, but they actually believe in multiple gods. This is how it works for them. The Father God created Jesus as a lesser God, and then now there are two gods. There's an almighty God, and then there's a mighty God named Jesus, and then Jesus uses the force of the Holy Spirit like you use lasers or welding, you know, material. Uh, you weld with, what do you weld with? What comes out of the welding thing? Blowtorch, there you go. Now, is that how the Bible describes Jesus? Not at all. But what I like to do is I go right to their favorite scripture. They actually get their name from Isaiah 43.10. Look at Isaiah 43.10. You are my witnesses, declares Jehovah. That's the word they use. We use the word Lord or Yahweh. Good. 
But here's what it goes on to say. And my servants whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Get this. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. So can there ever be a our God creating a lesser God and saying he's in charge of stuff. Can there be a Mormon God doing that? No. John 1, 1 teaches us that as far back as we go into the beginning, there is the Father and the Son. The Word is never created. He's there in the beginning. Does everybody get that? Can I get an amen? He's there. Now, how do they get around this scripture then? What do they have to do to get around this scripture? They actually change it in their translation. That Bible they're carrying around is a wrong translation. You know what they do? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was, and they put a God right there. You see how they have to try to trick their, their people? We go back to the original Greek and we go, uh-uh. There's no a God there. It's the God. Our God is the God. There's not multiple gods, and that's why John 1.18 says this is who he's talking about. This is how we know the truth. So all we have to do to go back, uh, to understand the Trinity is to go back to Scripture and to see the Trinity is what it is, whether we understand it or not. Now, can I teach it in a way you can understand? Yes. But can you fully fathom it? No, but is it illogical? No, so should you believe it and operate your life upon it? Absolutely. Somebody say that was just the introduction. I am trying to go so fast to the introduction because i got so much more to preach to you. Let's look at these points right here. Everybody look up at the screen. We're baptizing in the one name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What is the name there? That's the name God gave Moses, Yahweh, Jehovah. So I always like to mess with Jehovah Witnesses. I always say, what is the name of the Father? And they're always so fast to say, Yahweh. And I go, what's the name of the Son? They go, Jesus. Oh, this is easy. And I go, the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit. And I go, okay. So what does Matthew 28, 19 mean when it says the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? So that means whatever name the Father has, the Son has to have. So that means the Son also has to be Yahweh. And the Holy Spirit has to be Yahweh. So you either take away the name of Yahweh from the Father or you take away the context of the Scripture because it doesn't say plural names. It says one name. And guess what? Jesus is called Yahweh and the Holy Spirit is called Yahweh. You'll learn about that as you go along. So we clearly show there's one name. There's one being of God, and there's three persons. And so where did the word Trinity come from? It came from our theologians wanting to come up with a way to describe it. Now, somebody may be sassy and say, well, where's the word Trinity in the Bible? Well, the word Bible's not in the Bible either, okay, smarty pants. And guess what? Neither is your name, so do you not exist? Or the watchtower, it's not in the Bible. All of us use names in Christianity or in religion to describe things of our principles. It makes things easy, okay? So the guy came up with it, Tertullian, around the late 100s, early 200, to simply mean tri-unity, three in one. That term has been abused by others to try to make us think we believe in three gods. We do not. They try to compare us to pagan religions. We are not pagan. We believe that there is only one God. And here are the evidences of that, and I have them listed out, so please take your time if you want to learn more. Here's where we're taught, Deuteronomy 6, 4, what we've already read. There is only one God. But however, in Exodus 33, 20, we are said that people couldn't see God face to face, and yet in Exodus 33, 11, we're shown that God is meeting face to face. Let me just show you the apparent contradiction, the problem the Jews had to live with. Let's go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. What does it say here? But God speaking, you cannot see my what? You cannot see my what? 
You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Does everybody get that? So can we see God's face? Okay, now guess what? Let's go up nine verses, Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, and let's see what happens. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So did Moses, the author of the book here. Moses is the author of the first five books. Did he contradict himself nine verses later? Everybody get it right here. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Yahweh would speak to Moses. Jehovah would speak to Moses face to face as one does a friend. Just a few verses down, what does it say here? It says that uh, you will hide in the cleft of the rock. He said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. That's verse 20, and up here is verse 11. What happened right there, my friends? You see, if we don't have, see, the Jewish people have contradictions if they don't look to Jesus and his revelation. What do we know the revelation is? Jesus explained it to us. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is God himself, who's in closer relationship with the Father, has made him known. So who is Moses saying, I can't meet with face to face? Father. Who is he meeting face to face with like a friend? Now is the son God just like the father's God? Yep, boom, deal with it. Amen? I can't change the Bible to fit your stinking thinking. Change your stinking thinking to match the Bible. Amen? So I show you all of those things, and I show you also in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. A lot of people misunderstand the title of the Son of Man. Jesus is called the Son of Man quite a bit and even refers to himself as that in the Bible. And sometimes people will say, show me where Jesus called himself God and I'll believe you. Well, I'll show you where Jesus is worshipped as God and you still won't believe me. And here's the point. Jesus called himself the Son of Man, which is the equivalent to God. Why is that term equivalent to God? Because look at Daniel's vision in Daniel 7, 13. He says, in my vision, it's the same Daniel of the lion's den, okay? He says, in my visions I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. That's where the term comes from. Daniel's seen a vision and he's like, that dude looks just like me. Now, why do you think Jesus looks just like us? We were made in his image, we were the ones that he made. He made us like him. So he goes, look, I see one who looks just like me. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? The Father. Now watch. He, talking about the Son of Man, he's given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all nations, people of every language. What? They worshipped him. Can you worship anybody other than God in our Bible? Starting with the first commandment, worship nobody else but me. I'm a jealous God. That's what the Bible says. But the one who looks just like me is now being worshipped by everybody. What did he just see? He just saw what looked like a man being worshipped. And the Bible literally says right here, I was troubled in my spirit and the visions that passed through my mind. Because here's this guy going, I only worship one God, but I see the Ancient of Days. He's right there. And we're just, we're just supposed to be worshipping him, but now we're worshipping the one that looks like me. What's going on? And isn't that the same revelation we get in the book of Acts when the man's being stoned? He says, I see the Son next to the Father, and they're all worshiping him. I see heaven opened up, and the Holy Spirit we know is there as well. So why is that disturbing to the Jew? Because he didn't have yet the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus coming in the flesh, revealing himself. But like I said, starting from the baptism, Jesus is like, hey, I'm here. My Father's up there. Hey, Dad. And then the Holy Spirit, what's up, Holy Ghost? Let's hang out. And then at the end of this ministry, what does he say? Now, guys, here it is. Here's the Revy. Here's the Revy that all the people wanted to know about. Go baptize them in the one name of the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's the Trinity revealed in the Old Testament and experienced. Now, just to remind everybody, here's how we come to the doctrine of the Trinity. It was not developed by us trying to be pagan. It wasn't developed by the Christians trying to be cool or create a new religion because uh, it's not really cool to get crucified because that's what happened to our Jesus. And then they started persecuting the Christians. They called us all kinds of names. They treated us badly, our families. So we wouldn't have believed a lie. You'll die for something that you believe in, but you won't die for something you think is a lie. So you're not going to create something you think is a lie and then put your life on it. You may be deceived into what you believe, like people crashing into a tower thinking they're getting 70 virgins. Yeah, you can be deceived into those kinds of things. People do that all the time. But when was the last time somebody said, I'm going to make up a lie that right now will get me killed and my children killed? Let me make up this lie. Our disciples died believing this. And this is what they believed. Number one, there's one God. There's no way around it. There's not multiple gods. There's no way to squeeze in here a lesser God that gets created. The stone-cold hard facts from Isaiah 43 to the Ten Commandments in the book of Genesis is there's only one God. Worship him. Foundation one. The second foundation that they saw was that there are three persons all running around in the Bible acting like God. There's the Father over here. There's the Son over here. And then there's the Spirit over here. And then they began to realize that these three persons were all the same God. Now, once again, is three persons sharing divinity illogical? No. Have we turned off our brain? Are you using your brain now, yes or no? Yes, hopefully you're using your brain. That's how they came up with it. It's that simple. There's one God. We see three people claiming to be that God. There could have been four. There could have been ten. But there's only three in our scriptures claiming to be God. Some people try to take away the Holy Spirit and only have two persons. Some people try to add in the, Michael and as a fourth person. No, there's, it's just clearly stated through the Bible. There is the Father, there is the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. That's our God. Straightforward. Everybody got it? And then what does the Bible say in those same prophecies, Isaiah 48, 10? Who, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you like him to? And you just can't do it because every time we try in the three-dimensional world, we're stuck with three-dimensional objects, and a multi-personal being is going to be out of our dimensions. That's simple math. If you want a four-dimensional uh, a rectangle, it has to be outside of the three-dimensional world. That's what the mathematics found out. If you want a multiple being, a multiple person in a being, it's got to be outside of this world. And so what I want to do is, is encourage you not to use bad examples. So sometimes people will say, an egg is like God. There's the yellow part on the middle, there's the white, and then there's the shell, and it's one egg. The problem with that is, is that's three separate parts. That goes to a third, a third, and a third. Each one of those parts making up the whole egg. The yellow's not the white, and the white's not the shell. Other people will say, oh, I can show it with water. Water can be a solid, water can be a steam, and it can be a liquid. See, and it's all yet water. That's exactly the heresy of Sabellianism. I'm Joe, I'm a father, I'm a son, and I'm a pastor. Those states don't exist at the same time in the same way. So once again, we're not using three-dimensional objects to describe four-dimensional things in math, why try to use his creation to describe the creator? This is all that we can say, is that when God made us in the beginning, go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when he made us, he made us multi-personal as man and woman and child and humanity to represent his multi-personal nature, Father, Son, Spirit. I can only give the example that he gave us, which is what? Humanity. Humanity, according to the Bible, is the only image I can use as an example to what God is like. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. See, this is the only example. Let us make mankind in our image. 
You and I are the closest representative of God. And here's the way I like to say it. We all share humanity. Father, Son, and Spirit all share divinity. That's the only way we can go. We're multiple persons, but yet we're all equally human. God's multiple persons, equally God. Now, however we count us, there's multiple humans, but yet there's only one God. That's why we appeal to the scriptures and say it's beyond our reasonability. We, we can understand it, but we can't fathom how it works, just like they couldn't do satellite TV and all of those things a while back. So when you look at the Trinity, be encouraged that the Bible simply teaches it, whether you always fathom it. Okay, so how many know this? The Bible teaches there's going to be a pit opened up, and there's going to be like creatures that come out of it and afflict people for like three and a half years, and it's going to get crazy down here. How many understand that in the Bible? How many can fathom that? Okay, that's kind of hard to fathom. How about this, living for eternity? How many know you're going to do it, but how many know you can't fathom it? You get bored of just being with your loved one and children for three days straight in a car or on a road trip. How are you going to be okay with everybody in heaven? I have no fathomable idea how that's going to be okay with me being with you all the time. But I can believe it. I can just point into this, my brother. I love you. I could probably be with you. Maybe for a week. And my wife will tell you, even the nicest of people, about what, three days they start getting on my nerves. It doesn't matter who they are. I couldn't imagine being with you for an eternity. But God said it's going to happen. Can't fathom it, but I believe it. Everybody say preach it. Amen. Here's the word. Let me just break it down to ways everybody can understand, then we'll make it applicable. How about being called God? Each person is called God. Nobody else is called God. Michael the archangel is not called God. Virgin Mary is not called God. So we look at the Bible. Philippians chapter 1 verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. God who? Our Father. Okay, so the Father's called God. You go to Titus chapter 2 verse 13. While we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Who is he talking about now? Jesus Christ. Do we have two gods now? We have a God called the Father, and now we have a God called Jesus Christ. No, that's what Mormons believe. No, we, that's what pagans believe. We're a third or a third. No, we believe the Father is God, the Son is God. We don't have two gods. We have one God and two persons. But guess what? The Holy Spirit's called God. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, there's a situation where Ananias and Sapphira have lied to the church, and this is what Peter says to them. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. So who have they lied to? The Holy Spirit, which you get the Revy, we're going to get there in just a minute. Father and Son are literally in heaven. It's the Holy Spirit that's here now that brings the presence of the Father and Son that lives within us. So whenever the judgment's coming, whenever the power of God's coming, it's always the person of the Holy Spirit. But now look who Peter says the Holy Spirit is right at the end. He says, you have not lied to men, but to God. Who was the person they lied to up at the first part of the verse? And who is the Holy Spirit? God, are we playing tricks with the Bible? No, Peter is easily describing what's going on. Guys, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and by doing that, you lied to God. That's why you're going to be judged right now. You don't got to wait to go up to heaven. You're going to get judged now because God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. You can go through the Bible and see the rest of the points that I made. God is everywhere. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. How many know there can't be two powerful beings? This is why Mormonism contradicts itself. Which God is the most powerful? It's because God, by definition, is all-powerful. If there's two all-powerful beings, can there be two all-powerful beings? Can there be two first place? No matter how much we want our kids to always be winners, can everybody be a winner if you play the game right? No, there's only one winner. There's only one all-powerful. But guess what? Let's look at all-powerful. God the Father, Jeremiah 32, 37. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Of course not. Matthew 28, 18, we've already read it. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hold on. Does the Father have all the authority or does the Son have all the authority? Now watch right here, Romans 5, 19, about the Holy Spirit. 
and the power and signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit. So I went from Jerusalem round about as far as Iconium, um, and I have fully preached the gospel. So here, Paul says, I've done everything I've done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So who has all the power? Is it the Father? Is it the Son? Or is it the Spirit? All of them have the power. How about being eternal? Can everybody be the first in time? No, somebody has to be the very first. A Jehovah Witness to say it was the Father was first, and then comes the Son is second. Here we see that in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is with the, with the Father. He's been there from the very beginning. What about the Holy Spirit? Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more than will the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit? How old is the Spirit? How old is the Spirit? Eternal Spirit offered, how much more through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God? How many creators do you have? One or ten? One or three? How many creators, people? One, look at, look at our creation narrative. Isaiah 64, 8, God the Father, you create us. You're our Father. Look at this. Isaiah, look at, it. Look at this, Muslims. Our Lord is our Father. Amen. How many have a Father up in heaven? But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. And we are the work of your hands. Sounds simple. So we're the work of the Father's hands, aren't we? But Colossians says that Jesus created all things. Look at what it says. All things were created through him and for him. Well, hold on. I thought the Father created us. But now it says Jesus created us. Oh, but don't forget about who. Who, who do we want, don't want to forget about? The Holy Spirit. Watch this. Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God has what? May, oh, come on now, Bible. Get it straight here. Father says he makes me. The Son says he makes me. Now the Holy Spirit says he makes me. And keep reading. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Go back to Genesis. How were we made? Father commands the Son. Son does the action. Breathes the Spirit. God made us. Father, Son, and Spirit. You don't have three creators. You have one creator through the three persons of the Trinity. I have so many more things for you guys to research and look up. But I want to close out as Adam comes with a creed. Can I read to you guys a creed today? Okay, now let me just say this. If this preaching was boring to you, you know what you're really saying? God is boring. Okay, just kind of check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because you were like, shucks, pastor, you didn't talk about me and my problems and how hard they are, and I'm going through a valley. You didn't tell me, Jesus, how to be a better person, a job to be a better person. What's wrong with you, pastor? I talked to you about God, the creator of the universe, who will do all the things you need him to do the more you know him. It all comes from our knowledge of him. Can I show you that? Go quickly to, to Ephesians chapter 1. We've read this before in our Ephesians series. Start around verse 10. Look at how when Paul prays for us, go for a little bit further. Around verse 15, he starts praying. And look at verse 17. This was Paul's number one prayer for the church. And it's my number one prayer for you. Get this. Get this, everybody get the scripture, please. Paul's prayer, he's the greatest pastor of all times, the apostle. He says, I keep asking, I keep asking, I keep asking. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. The more you know God better, you'll be better. The more you know God better, you'll do better. When you stop seeing God as a wicked slave master known as Allah or some karma God that looks like a monkey from Hinduism, when you start seeing God as your father, it will transform how you live. 
because you'll never feel like you face a problem alone. When you see God, the Son, laying down his life for you, you're not just seeing one of the helpers of heaven, baby. You are seeing the eternal Son of God take on flesh to die for you. You will never feel unimportant or unloved. And when you understand the Holy Spirit, that he's not the mini Holy Spirit. He's the powerful Holy Spirit that created the entire world and had the power to hold it together, every cell, everything. And he's on the inside of you right now. You'll be thankful to pray and experience him. So when you know God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your life will never be the same again. I promise you the Bible will turn into a whole nother book because that's our God. This creed was written around the 300s to express to us our Christian faith. The word Catholic here doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It means universal. The Roman Catholics took that word when they started their church and identified themselves as that in the 6th century. This is 200 years before this, okay? Listen to it. Whoever desires to be saved should above all hold to the universal or Catholic faith. Anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtlessly perish eternally. Get this, all of these cults came afterwards. Islam came after this, people, by about 300 years. All of these religions tried to change what our fathers were dying for. Now this is the universal faith. Somebody say, now this is it. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. You should probably put that on Facebook. I worship God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. Never blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another. And that of the Holy Spirit still another. Have we shown that today? They're distinct persons. Always go back to the baptism. It's just simple. It's right there. Son being baptized. Holy Spirit coming down. Father talking. Jesus saying the name of the Father, Son, Spirit. It's easy in Matthew. Matthew 3 and verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse, uh, chapter 28. It says, but the divinity of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit is one. They share one divinity. Their glory equal their majesty co-eternal. The Son never becomes God. The Holy Spirit never becomes God. He's always been God by definition. What quality the Father has, the Son has, the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. Do you understand how they preached 300, uh, 300 A.D., 1,700 years ago? Is exactly how I just preached to you. I just showed you the principles. They're all three listed this way. And yet there are not three eternal beings, but there's one eternal being. So, too, there's not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. There's just one uncreated and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty. But there's not three almighty beings. There's just one almighty being. Thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, yet there are not three gods. There's but one God. How many know this one God today? How many have been baptized in his name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. I can show you that as well. They each get the divine name, just like Jesus said. Yet there are not three lords, but there's one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to individually confess each person, both as God and Lord, so the universal religion forbids us to say there's three gods or Lord. So Mormons get out of here with those many gods things. We don't believe in that Jehovah Witnesses. We don't fall for that nonsense. There's one God and three persons. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. So listen to their roles right here. 
The Son was neither made nor created, but He was begotten from the Father. Who came in the flesh for us? The Son. Listen to it in the King James. Listen to it. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. So the Father's never been begotten, but the Son's been begotten. The Son came in the flesh. The Father didn't. This can, this this takes away all the confusion people try to say like, well, if Jesus was God, who was he talking to on the cross? His Father. Oh, he was talking to himself? No. He was talking to another person called the Father. See how they confuse uh, what we're saying to try to make it out to be a straw man? I never said Jesus was the Father. He's separate from the Father. The Father did not become flesh. Jesus became flesh. And then other times they'll be like, well, if Jesus is God, how did he get tired? Then God never gets tired. He became flesh to identify with us. The Bible says he did that for us. But in John 1, 1, like I told you, the difference between the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell the virgin birth story and all that. What does John tell us? He was at the beginning with God. He was always there. He made all things. What did he do? He came into flesh to identify with us. That's why he, they're like, did he pray to himself? No, he prayed to the Father. Did you want him to be an atheist? Of course he's going to talk to his Father. He's been in eternal relationship with, well, he said that's his God. Of course, God to Jesus in the flesh was his God. Well, it says in Revelation he still is God. As long as Jesus has on flesh, he will identify with the Father as God for our example. That's why there's no way to the Father except through him. There's only one meteor between, between God and man. That's the man, Jesus Christ. When, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the incarnation. When Jesus became a man, it was like him putting on an earth suit, a, a space suit. When uh, when you put on a spacesuit, you don't stop being a human, do you? You just add yourself to the uh, idea of being an astronaut. When Jesus took on flesh, he didn't stop being God. He just became man now. And we'll learn about that as we keep reading and we'll keep studying. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created, but he was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten, but watch, he proceeds from the Father and Son. Who sends the Holy Spirit? Who sends the Holy Spirit, people? Jesus and who else? The Father. Look at what it says. Go to John chapter 14. Look at what it says here. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So there it says, the Father sends the Holy Spirit, right? I will ask the Father, and he'll give you the advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but he, but you know him because he lives with you. Now watch. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not do that. Now go to Acts chapter, chapter 1. What does Jesus say he's going to now do? He's not going to leave us as orphans. We're going to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Now watch. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. So who sends the Holy Spirit to baptize us? The Father and the Son. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. My Father's going to send him, but he's going to come in my name, and I'm going to baptize you with him. So as I baptize you in water, Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. That's the relationship between the Father and the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons. There's one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Now this is the Trinity. Nothing in the Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal, co-equal with each other. So in everything, as we said earlier, we must worship the Trinity in their unity and their unity in their Trinity. Somebody say, I'm going to worship the Trinity. 
Amen. Come on. But it is necessary for eternal salvation that one also believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. Now imagine this. They went over these creeds all the time. Don't get tired. Now watch how he describes Jesus. I know I had to go through it fast, but watch how he describes what Jesus did. Now this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time. And he is human in the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human. With a rational soul and human flesh. Equal to the Father as regarded to divinity. Less than the Father as regarded to humanity. Although he is God and man, yet Christ is not two but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God taking humanity to himself. Do you see that? He doesn't become the earth suit. He takes the earth suit onto himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence. He doesn't put his God, nature, and humanity in a blender and blend it up. For just as the human is both rational soul and flesh, you're a soul and your flesh, he too is both God and human. He suffered for our salvation, descended to hell, arose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right of the Father's right hand. This ain't good preaching. I don't know what is. For there he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will arise bodily and give an account of their deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life. Those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. This is the universal faith. One cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. If you believe it, would you stand up? Come on. Somebody say amen. Let's believe it today. Hallelujah. Stand up and say amen and agree with the church fathers. Amen. Do you agree with what was taking time to be brought to you? Altar workers and band, would you come please? I know I've been long, but it's hard to talk about God in a few minutes. Did anybody get that? I said, I know I've been long, but how, I mean, how can you reduce God to an hour? Can I end it with some practical application? You were meant as humanity to experience divinity in the Trinity. Everybody get this. You were, you were meant to experience divinity. Can I help every one of us today experience the Trinity? You guys want to experience God? How many are humans here? How many believe there's one God? How many believe he's in three persons? You want to experience them? Let's go. You know how we do it? We pray to the Father in Jesus' name, and we feel the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we do it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. When we come to the Father in Jesus' name, what does he send to us? What do him and the Father send to us? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now baptizes us, submerses us, is what that word means, and empowers us. So here, here's the example. You get up in the morning and you pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I ask to experience the Holy Spirit and all that I do today. That's how we experience the Trinity. So in actuality, there is nothing you will ever do from this point on as a Christian that will not involve the Trinity. And in one sense, you have never been outside of his revelational power. Because he's never, just because you discovered him as the Trinity didn't mean he became the Trinity, right? When we discovered that we were going around the sun instead of the sun going around us, that didn't change gravity. It's just we checked in. And so what God wants you to do is check in. And if you want to use your imagination, it's totally fine. See the picture of Revelation. 
the Ancient of Days, the Father is on a throne, the Son is next to him, the Lamb of God, and from their throne flows the river of God, the Holy Spirit, to us. Let's pray now, thinking of that image. Think of three areas right now you want to experience the Trinity and just start to pray and experience.